Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my time capsule is the podcast where I ask my very lovely guests to tell me the five things from their life that they'd like to put into a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and would like to keep safe, but they also pick one thing they'd like to forget, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the actor James Dreyfus, who came to fame through the television sitcoms The Thin Blue Line by Ben Elton, in which he played Constable Goody, alongside Rowan Atkinson, and Gimme, Gimme, Gimme with Kathy Burke. He also starred opposite Bette Midler in the American sitcom Bet. Don't know how they came up with that idea. Anyway, he also took over the role of Thermo Man in the BBC comedy My Hero from Artelou Hanlon, which is when I worked with him. Other appearances include Gormenghast, Absolutely Fabulous, Waking the Dead, Casualty, The Sarah Jane Adventures, Midsummer Murders, Well, I Never, Holby City, Whitechapel, Shameless, Father Brown, and the films The Hollow and Notting Hill. In the West End, he's been in Condide at the Menier Chocolate Factory, Cabaret at the Lyric Theatre, and the producers at Drury Lane. He won an Olivier Award for the Best Supporting Performance in a Musical for his work in The Lady in the Dark at the National Theatre, and the Ian Charlson Award for his performance as Cassius in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar at the Birmingham Rep. So you see, he's not just a comedian, something we talk about in this podcast. In fact, James is a very sweet man as I think you'll discover as you listen to the things from his life he'd want to put in a time capsule. Here is James Dreyfus. If you look at the positives, actually, if you concentrate on the positives, 
you find many more than you think you have. Yeah, absolutely. But you've got to really concentrate because <laughs> my nature is opposite to a lot of people's. My nature is the glass is half empty, but I'm forcing myself as I get older to look at the other side. Mm. And it's kind of working. I mean, it's, it's, it's strangely working, which is great, you know. It can. You can change your nature, I think. You can. Mm. You, you, well, you can learn from it. You can learn from your mistakes. Yes, you know? it may take a time. Yeah. With all of us, we've all done that. I mean, yeah. James, your message to me, I, I found it really, really sweet that after all that time that you still felt that you owed me an apology, which you absolutely didn't. It's always bothered me. It's bothered me for years, Mike, because it, it, it just bothered me. And I was in such a bad place then. I can't remember how I was to people, but I always assume I was unpleasant enough. And it's bothered me for years. Wow. And I always said to myself, Ever I bump into Mike again, I'm going to take him aside and I'm going to say, I'm really sorry. <laughs> well, that's lovely. It's very nice of you to even think <clears throat> and nothing to apologise for. So it's wonderful to see you and you're looking extremely well. And I think that you've grown into, now you may find this a strange thing to say, but I remember right at the beginning of your career, yeah. the expectation of everybody was that you were going to turn into a great classical actor. Yeah, I don't know what happened. It was I, I did lots of classical work, and I got the Ian Charlson second prize for Cassius stuff, and, and I was doing lots and lots and lots of it. I loved this because I was working with my sort of comedy heroes, Alexi mm. Sale and Jennifer Saunders and the comic strip, and yeah. then they all came along. And, of course, along with that came the over-the-top comedy. Yes, not the naturalism we have today. So um, it sort of shifted. And once it had shifted, it was very, very difficult to get back. I think that a lot of people didn't know that you had that in you. You know, they sort of assumed that that's what you do. You do one thing, you do it well. People assume that's all you can do. Yeah, I mean, very much the case. I mean, I remember when uh, auditions used to be face-to-face -face quite a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> But uh, you used to be able to go into a room and people would go, goodness gracious, you're, you're nothing like the person I expected. Mm. And, I'd, and I'd be, I'd sort of go, oh, great. I'm so glad you said that because now we can have a conversation about it. But um, I certainly thought my career was going classical and then something happened. And it's much more difficult to go from over-the-top comedy yes. to being taken seriously. Do, do you know what I mean? Uh, no, absolutely, yes. It's difficult because I think what happens is that I think a lot of actors can act dramatically. They are good dramatic actors, but not that many actors are good at comedy. Yeah. When people find you have that skill, they will keep pushing for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I always tend to think that the best actors, well, all the, all the best actors I've seen can do comedy and tragedy equally brilliantly. Yes. I mean, look at McKellen, look at Derek Jacobi. Judy Dench, Maggie Smith. It mm -hmm. only takes a look. I mean, and I think um, that's what's so interesting about it, is, is, is that you can turn on a dime. But you have to be in a position where you're not in a box already. Yeah, quite. Well, it'll be really interesting to see the things that you've chosen to put into a time capsule from your life, because it's been fairly full it has, it has. Five's not enough. It's not enough. <laughs> we'll come back in six months and do it again. All right. Lovely. Okay, so let's talk about the first thing that you'd like to put into a time capsule. Uh, well, it sounds maudlin, but it's not. 
it's the urns and the ashes of all my animals that I've ever had. And they meant the world to me. And I had them cremated individually, so they're not in a big thing. And I've got them in beautiful urns and pictures of them. And I'd like them to be buried with me. Yes. I mean, the very fact that you've got them shows how much you cared. I'll tell you, Michael, my last dog, Calvin, uh, he was seven and we went away on holiday to Madeira and we got a phone call whilst we were there that he was in hospital and not doing well. And then I got on the phone and the vet said to me, I'm afraid he's just died. Uh. And well, we lost it because we couldn't get off the island for three days. And I think that was the most awful feeling was that we weren't there dog people will get this and, and animal people will get this and yeah. they're your family they're your family yes. and you mourn for, you mourn them as much as you mourn a human you love yes it's strange isn't it because you do when you have an animal in that situation particularly if you don't have children i think also that is the person you talk to yes. you talk to this animal about your problems about your worries about the funny things that have happened to you Absolutely. And, and if you're feeling a bit, you know, low, I was sitting at the desk the other day and I was in a bit of a funk and he was looking at me and I was thinking, what does he want? What does he want? <laughs> and then I realised he just wanted to jump up and sit on And because my partner usually works at this desk, I wasn't used to this. And mm. he just sat there and he was all fine. And immediately, immediately I felt, I just felt better, you know. Yeah. They're much more important than I think uh, many people give them credit for. Mm, how far back does this go? Well, um, I had a cat that was 21. Wow. Called Benson, who was, had one eye. And, you know, he, he was, I used to put him around my neck when I took him to the supermarket. And, and, and he was part of the furniture. And he had epilepsy uh, towards the end. And I remember I used to have to hold him down as he thrashed about. And then he'd sort of come around and, you know, lick his lips a couple of times. And then he'd be fine. <laughs> but he went on for 21 years. When I lived in L.A., a dog called Cassie, a golden retriever, lived down in the uh, West Hollywood in a tiny house. And I had a much bigger house upset. And I said to them, could I take her just whilst I'm here? She's, I've got a pool and she can swim. And the, mm. so she had, and then we did two road trips across America. And then she passed. Um, uh. But she had the best two years the last two years of her life the fantastic retirement years yes oh it was great it was just great just great <laughs> what i think you can learn from having an animal like that is that ability to let your regrets go do you know what i mean yeah if you have a dog and it does something like it chews a slipper or it craps in the corner no. You go, you bad dog. And it, oh, yeah. they look they look terribly mournful, don't they? They look yeah. very upset by it. And yeah. the moment you stroke his head, there, it's gone, gone. Yeah, it's gone. It's funny, I was writing about this yesterday, about I wish it was as easy for us to live in the now uh, than worry about tomorrow or worry about yesterday. Or yes. Because, because they don't. I mean, unless they're being abused, in which case they, they remember very well. Mm. But they live in the now, they enjoy the now, and I wish that was something we had. Yes, absolutely. And isn't it extraordinary how once a dog or a cat or any animal is shown care and affection and love, despite having an entire life of abuse, it will then show that love back? 
I know it's it's extraordinary. Uh, I mean, how these the, these people that train them and retrain them to love again. I mean, they 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 are as extraordinary as the animals because they put their whole self into it. Because it's got to be incredibly difficult to win back the trust of a dog or a cat yeah. that's been abused. So these people do things I couldn't do it. Do you know why? It's not because I don't love animals. It's because I've been crying all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know. So uh, it's it's too close to me. Yes. I mean, I find the adverts on television, although necessary, because you do have to show the bad side. I find the donkey one just kills me. I mean, it just kills me. Or the bear is saying, this is a bear calling for its mother. And I just, I know you've got to know, but I I, I do find it really disturbing, which means I couldn't do the, the amazing job that these people do. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, why people regard animals as worthless why they regard them as not being sentient in a way i mean they seem to don't they it's all right i can beat this thing because i wanted to pull this cart yeah and i can keep doing that and it doesn't matter yeah i think it sort of spits into the usual two groups of people one who value what they have and will take care of their donkey and, and love their animals. And I've seen this, you know, in videos for all over the world, you know, in, mm-hmm. in Turkey and the people in Madeira who refuse to take the donkeys up. And then you just get the people who use animals. That happens here, you know, kicking a dog to get it out of the way. And then the dog doesn't react. It, it comes to you because yes. it still it still wants you. It still loves you. It still trusts you. Or it relies on you, really. I mean, it feels part of your pack. Yeah. So I see over your shoulder that you have a painting of you with a dog leaning on you. Well, your... this is an artist who sent this to me, and he's called Squiddo29. I thought it was the most incredible painting because I, I, I've never seen anyone catch me like that. What I like about it is that it's only half your face. The dog is the centre of the painting. That was his decision. He was amazing. Yeah. And he's an amateur artist. I think that is an extraordinary painting. And which dog is that? Is that your latest dog? Now, that is Hobbes. Now, Hobbes, I got quite soon after Calvin because mm. I don't believe that you ever replace an animal. But it certainly replaced a huge hole in our lives. And we Mm. got him, we went to see him every week for eight weeks. From the moment he was born, he was born in Gloucestershire. Every week we'd go and see him. And then we picked the psychotic one. (laughs) Psychotic. But he's the life and soul of the party. But he doesn't like people, doesn't particularly like dogs. Obsessed with me and my partner. Couldn't give a damn about anyone else. But, you know, that's dogs. But I, lo- I love cats just as much as I love dogs. I think if you love animals, you love animals. You know? Yeah, and the company of them, indeed. And the company, yeah. So, all right then, we shall put your array of urns with the ashes of all the animals you've had into the time cats yours, your first item. Okay. Okay, right, let's move on to item number two. Okay, the item number two sounds really pompous, and it sounds, it, no, it does, it sounds pompous and show-offy and everything. But I do it because of this, the awards and nominations that I've won over the years. Mm-hmm. I'd like to put in there just to show I existed. So in 200 years, there was proof of what I did and what I achieved and that I did exist. And I'm actually very proud of them. I mean, I don't put much, much stead in 
some award ceremonies, I couldn't give a damn, but these in particular uh, mean something uh, because I was particularly proud of the production and all the the fun. So, uh, hmm. uh, yeah, so, so to be pompous. It's fine. Put them in there. I, it's, uh, I'm, I'm happy to do it because I think also awards don't only represent the success that you've had in life. They represent the regard with which you were held. Yes, that's true. And also the surprise sometimes when you mm. you think, God, what for that? Really? <laughs> God, I thought I was awful. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's that moment of, oh, my God. And I am proud of them. And I, and I just think, I don't put them up or anything, but just having them, mm. it's like a sort of marker in a book. He existed. Yes, which ones in particular, then, are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of the second prize um, Ian Charlson Award. Yeah. They had two winners that year, Dominic West and I can't remember the other one. I think it was Toby Stevens. Mm. And I was sitting there thinking, yeah, there was a load of people there, and I was thinking, yeah, right. Yeah. And then John Peter, the uh, theatre critic, stood up and said, oh, and our third prize is James Trafus. And I got my award from Paul Schofield. Wow. Yeah, and I was so stunned that my face just went into this rictus grin. And I, <laughs> I, and I, and I looked like I was drunk out of my mind, but I was so taken aback because it was for Cassius in Julius Caesar. So mm. it was a classical part. So it meant a little bit more. Yes, well, as I said at the beginning, I don't think people know that about you particularly. And so it is, I think, an important thing to put in there if you're going to use this to represent you and your life. Yeah. It, it demonstrates that actually you were much more than just doing these funny characters. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny, isn't it, when, you're, uh, when you act? Because, you know, you do a classical performance and you can do it and you can, you can run the gamut of classical, you know, emotions... But actually, when you're doing comedy, it's so much harder because you've got to make people laugh. Mm. And not just laugh, but really laugh. Because you know what it's like. You do a performance in front of uh, an audience. Let's do it again. Come on, folks, and let's really laugh. And you think, (laughs) oh, no, please don't make them do that. They've seen it five times. Yeah, no, awful. uh, uh, Yeah, so I find it harder. I find uh, comedy really hard and i always think in those television situations you should be saying to them it's all right fine we've got your laughter from the first few we'll use that if you don't mind it does happen <laughs> and, and i can't bear it if they went don't worry about laughing it's okay i feel that's fine that's fine i can just do it but oh god it used to kill me. You get a sort of a speedier run of the scene, don't you, sometimes? Because there's no laughter. Yes, exactly. If they then take the laughter from other scenes and put it in, you get a much better piece of television, I think. Yes, it always annoyed me, but then it always terrified me the most was doing those things live. It's strange, though, isn't it, how people are really excited to be turning up in a television studio to watch a recording of something they've seen on the television, and they've not really been made aware of the fact that they're there to be used, which is why they got it for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I won't betide you if you need the loo. Yes, quite. It's a long evening, isn't it? But I must say, they really do. Uh, we had Ross Noble as our, um, for Gimme Gimme Gimme, as our uh, warm-up act. And he was just, 
In fact, all the warm-up apps we've had have been brilliant mm. because they do the most difficult job of all. Because they keep everybody, you know, we're, come on, we're going to go through this together. We're going to, you know, we'll keep yeah. bubbling. And it's important, I think, to make the audience aware that they are there as part of the recording and you are part of the show. Yes, you'll hear yourself. In, you know, that's why you get some people going, ah, ah, <laughs> ah, ah, because they can say to their friends, that's me, that is. Yes, I've done warm-up a few times, but I always used to say that to the audience, that if you want people to know that you were in the recording, you want to laugh at a moment that's completely unfunny, all on your own. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, I think that Ian Charlson Award, what an extraordinary thing to get. And that's not an easy part, Cassius. No, no. But you're BAFTA awarded and all sorts of things, aren't you, over the years? No, I, I didn't Did get a BAFTA. No, no, oh. I got a Laurence Olivier award. Oh, there you are, you see. So, in fact, your awards are for your theatre work. And then I got a comedy award, Best Newcomer. Ah, yeah. Those were the three. I was there for that award. Oh, were you? Yes, I was there to applaud you. Ah, <laughs> oh, me and Twiggy. <laughs> and then I've had some nominations again from What's On Stage for a classical work. How fantastic. Yeah, which pleases me quite a lot, you know. Well, I think it's important to put them in the time capsule then. I think so. Yes? Thank you, Ian. Absolutely. Well, carefully. I'll make sure that just occasionally somebody digs it back up and polishes them. (laughs) Deal. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right, let's move on to item number three. Okay, item number three. I don't know if this really counts, but I moved around a lot when I was a child. My parents divorced when I was, I don't know, two and a half or something. So I lived two sort of very separate lives. And I have some of those things. My father gave me something that I remember. My stepfather gave me something. My stepmother, my mother, they all gave me little things from my childhood. And they mean a lot to me. They don't mean anything to anyone else. Like my grandfather's ring, my grandfather's St. Christopher. Right, yes. And a a Tobias painting that I remember since I was born. So just things like that Mm. I'd have with me because, uh, well, not hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully my parents die before me. Uh, No, but uh, I'm just saying if if it is the natural order of things, then I would want those with me. And did you as a child, did you switch from household to household then? Yes, a lot. A lot. I was born in London. We went to Devon, came back to London and then stayed in London uh, ever since. Mm. And what did they do, your parents? Well, in the 60s, my mother worked for Lifestyle magazine because she was a beauty. And my father did things that he wouldn't really talk about. But uh, He was a spy, wasn't he? I probably wouldn't understand what he did. Um, Your father was James Bond. That's what you're saying. I I don't. I I don't. He used to do the. Go off on these trips and do these things. I I think he was a a specialist. Yes, and he'd come back with unusual bruises in unusual places. (laughs) Yes, he'll kill me for saying this. He'll kill me. Oh, how brilliant! Yeah. Yeah. So not an easy life then. So in in a way, you can understand how a marriage can not work in those circumstances if someone's always off. Yeah, but I was so young, to be honest with you, Michael, that it didn't really affect me. I wasn't, you know, six. I wasn't at those vulnerable ages where it does hurt. It's always been like that. And my mother and my father were never horrible to each other. And my father got married another three times. My mother got married another once. Mm -hmm. And I had they had more children, so I got a bigger family and we all got... it's, it's, It's nice. Lovely. 
Yeah. So uh, your grandfather then, did he give it directly to you or did it go through your parents? No, it came through my mother because my grandfather used to live in Egypt and he was one of Egypt's top jockeys. And he was kicked out, of course, at Suez. Rather sadly, when he he was very old and he found out that I was gay, that was it. He didn't talk to me anymore. Really? No, but I remember this from my grandfather before he got old and angry and bitter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know something? Everyone these days uh, expects them to instantly affirm them in everything they do and everything they want. And I, and I don't believe that. I believe that my mother needed some time to, it was in the 80s when she found out. Mm-hmm. And of course, in her head, she linked it with AIDS, which everyone was doing. Of course. Yeah. So of course, it was, you've got to understand the other person's point of view. Yes. And sometimes they need time to adapt. And I think nowadays it's you either accept me or you reject me. And I don't think that's particularly fair. It's odd, though, isn't it, that we are in a time when people feel that other people ought to agree with them. And if they don't, it's an insult rather than just somebody disagreeing. Yeah. No, never mind. At least you've got these gorgeous things from your mother and father and your grandfather. Exactly. Exactly. And those are things that you can cling to and treasure. Absolutely. My parents had two Tobias paintings. So I don't know that artist. but If I move you, yes, it might be annoying, but you'll get to see what type of uh, painting it was. It is. Right. Right. Oh, I see, yes. It's extraordinary, isn't it? So there are two of those. Mm. So I got given one and my brother got given the other. And that's just something I remember seeing as a three-year-old. Yeah. You know? So they mean a lot, mm. you know. Yeah, to you, they're precious. To me, they're precious. And they're little. They're very little things. They're little mm. bits of jewellery. They're boxes. They're, they're keys. They're old uh, Louis coin that I got given for my christening. A uh, goblet from my christening. Things like that. Yeah. How wonderful. Right, let's put those in as the third item. Me again. I hope you're enjoying this episode. We do have to pause, I'm afraid, for a moment so that the podcast providers can play you some adverts. But never fear, we will return. See you in a moment. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Me again, again. Anyway, let's continue with my time capsule and find out what else James Dreyfus would like to put in his time capsule. Okay, now look, the fourth, it's not a real thing. It's, a, it's, it's like a memory or a thing that mm. you included. I would, I know this sounds weird. I would bury myself back in my youth. Huh. I'd bury myself in the years of the mid to late 70s and sparring AIDS, the 80s. Well, we all hanker after being young again. But why particularly that time? It was a very free time. It was a very happy time. It felt like you could do anything in the world. It felt like this was a really free country where you could say what you wanted and do what you wanted as long as you didn't harm anybody else. Mm -hmm. It was the costumes, the punks, standing, you know, by by the phone boxes on the King's Road. It was (laughs) different places with different fashions. Uh, I mean, now Soho's like Legoland. There's Costa Coffees everywhere. We've lost a bit of the era of my youth. And that's probably completely normal. I'm Mm -hmm. getting older. I'm moving on. I don't recognise half of London. Yes, Berwick Street. I would say Berwick Street. Every time I go there, I think, what happened here? Michael, I used to live in Brewer Street uh, 15 years ago. Yeah, when it was called Prostitute Alley. Mm. And And it was going through changes already. But... There were still places you could go. There was still, uh, you know, it was still quite seedy. Not very good for a person like me, uh, <laughs> you know, who tends to have a sort of, you know, well, it's ground drinking at four in the morning type thing. <laughs> but um, I won't go into town anymore unless I, unless I have to. I just won't do it. I used to go clubbing near uh, Tottenham Court Road. Mm. I don't go there anymore because I don't recognise a damn thing. Clearly, young people, they rush to London. They rush to central London. I remember doing plays in town and you'd be getting on the train at sort of half past 10, 11 o'clock at night and seeing other trains arriving, everybody getting off to go into London. Well, that, of course, used to be me. Yes, of course, of course. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I am admitting that this is an age thing. I'm sure it's an age thing. Mm. But the happiness... And the freedom. And I think a lot of people my age would say the same thing, that we have moved into a sort of authoritarian... And divided. Very divided. And I think it's all to do with the failed social media experiment. Uh, Which, if if you put a computer in every child's hand, what do you think is going to happen? Do you know the employees of Apple, the employees who work at Apple, not one of them, Give their children the phone until they're 16. Not one of them. <laughs> right. Why? Because they know. They know. Yes, I think you may be right. But also for anybody, that period, and that for you would have been going into adulthood and then discovering yourself as an adult and finding out what it is that you wanted to do and having the sense, I think, that we all have at that age, that life is going to go on forever, and that in fact 
there are endless possibilities to life. Yes, yes. Mm. But you see, at least, you know, I wanted to be an actor. So, you know, I w- wanted to go to RADA and I was lucky enough to end up going to RADA. And every, RADA was everything that I expected it to be. It was anarchic. It was, it was rough. It was, you know, you could do anything in rehearsals. And now with the sensitivity being taught and this, that and the other, I couldn't stand it. I wouldn't go. It's changed so much. Auditions. Audition. I have never, Michael, ever in my life got a job from a self-tape. Never. Never. And I always think, okay, I'm spending an hour doing this. I'm getting a little bit tired. Yes, no, I understand. All the skills that, not just in acting, but any job application, that it used to be a personal thing, that you used to meet people face-to-face and you would be able to, in a way, sell yourself. Yes. To say, I am the sort of person you would like to employ, you would enjoy working with. Absolutely. It's almost impossible to do if you're doing it on the internet. I mean, even just walking into the room, Michael, I know when I'm walking into the room, whether I'm nervous and it's showing or whether I'm confident and it's not. Yes. And, and I can feel it and I can see it by the people, you know, looking at you apart from the arseholes who stay behind the monitors in the room and just go, uh. but there was a very tangible thing of saying, oh, you're not like I thought you were, or, or, no. or you get onto something else and you talk about something else and it's, and it's all very interesting. And-, and seeing the human side of people as well, that's a very important thing, I think, in life, to judge people on those moments. So, for example, I do remember walking into auditions and being very nervous and walking in and saying to people, I'm really nervous, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, me too. And then, then making the effort to calm you down, to make you relax, to say you don't need to be nervous. Absolutely. We believe you can do this. We're just seeing a number of people, and we believe all of you can do it. We're just going to make a choice. So come on, let's, let's make sure we get the best from you. And then you may well do something quite extraordinary as a result of being shown that faith. Exactly. But you cannot do anything extraordinary on a Zoom set. You, you cannot do it. No. You can give a performance to a camera, put a bit of all the soil under your eyes and go, just can't do it. You know, you can, you, you can do that. Mm. And people would go, wow, she's pretty and she can cry and uh, uh, she's the one. Yeah. And also I have to say reality shows people who, who frankly couldn't entertain a dead hedgehog. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I don't understand it. But your career is very much that. You don't remember the Ian Charleston Award. You don't remember an Olivier Award. What you remember is Gimme, Gimme, Gimme and Thin Blue Line. But the reason you were able to go into a show like that, to be asked to stand beside Rowan and and in a way, come on, now you're going to get the laughs here. That's what you were asked to do in Thin Blue Line. (laughs) Exactly. It was a sort of the equivalent, Ben Elton explained to me, was Pike in Dad's Army. Yeah. You know, and uh, Rome wanted to play, you know, the sort of mannering type person. Mm. So it, it was actually more of an homage to Dad's Army than to anything else. Yeah. And anyway, like you said, being there with Rowan Atkinson was, was, I mean, just manna from heaven. Yeah. And Ben Elton. Ben is an extraordinary writer, isn't he? He's amazing, yeah. the speed of his brain. It's incredible. Yes. I once sat and watched him... Uh, Saturday Night Live we had in this country. Oh, yes. 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 Remember that show? And uh, I sat with a friend of mine who was producing it, Jeffrey Perkins. Oh, uh, Jeffrey 
was in every single day of Simbrew Line, every single day. Wonderful man. <laughs> Lovely man. And Ben had written his monologue for the end. And Jeffrey said, yeah, it's very good, very funny. But if you do this, we won't have time for anything else in the programme. So we're going to have to edit it a bit. <laughs> and then he'd sit there and with a pen and just go through and mark it and change it. Uh, yeah. And Ben went, great, OK. And then it would be two minutes of genius. And no one would question Perkins when he came up with an idea because no. he was really on the ball. I mean, it's like a John Plowman, you know. Yeah, who, absolutely. Is uh, another genius. No, I don't think many people would, if you said the name John Plowman, I don't think many people would associate it with the extraordinary things that he's done. No, I don't think so either. What I really love about those people is that they're involved in the encouragement of so many other people's careers. They yes. may not have been directly involved in employing them, but they would have been the person who went, no, this is good, keep going. Absolutely. absolutely. Like Jeff Posner. I mean, he was another one. Yeah. Liddy Oldroyd ah, uh, was lovely. another one. Wasn't she lovely? Uh, oh, just the, the best. They, they were this group that just loved comedy, just, mm. that just loved silly, stupid comedy. Yes. Uh, which is sort of gone now. I don't Oh, and it would be lovely to go back. That would be part of it, having those sort of people around that you could do it, to go back to that time. But also you'd have the absolute joy of going, I'm going to get dressed, I'm going to get smart, I'm going out, and I don't know who's going to be there, and I don't know how long I'll be gone. Nobody's organised this on a WhatsApp group. That's true. And so an evening would be a surprise. Or if it was going to be an organised evening out, you would have all arranged it personally with each other on the telephone yes. and said this is where we're meeting at this time and that was unchangeable because you couldn't yeah. suddenly message people and say actually we're now going to meet here i miss that beep, 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 beep. listen i've only got 2p but i can't meet you there <laughs> <laughs> and then you hang up way before the 2p is over <laughs> <laughs> well it wasn't a perfect world but it was our world it was okay lovely i'm going to put you as that young man in there Okay. And all those things that go with it. So we have one more thing to put in, and this is something that you'd like to reject from your life, something you'd like to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this is another imagination. I was so delighted to see the memory because it's just as much a part of you as it is anything else. And in fact, more so. Otherwise, it's just things. Yes. And they are, I think, just as tangible. Yes, they really are. So uh, I was delighted. Mm. Uh, well, I'd bury my depression that I've had for a very long time and insomnia and social anxieties, and I would make sure the black dog would come nowhere near me. Yes. Do you think that um, would explain Because you had a difficult time, didn't you? Yeah, I did. But I exacerbated it with, you know, not helping by drinking too much, by indulging in illicit substances i didn't help myself no but it's understandable because if you think i just don't have the joie de vivre almost to get through this those other things you believe at the time are going to help you yes whereas in fact they just don't they just don't they just don't you get to a point where they have the opposite effect yeah and it just it's just nearly destroyed me a couple of times but it's just uh it's just a constant thing. I talk about it on Twitter a bit and I get swamped with people saying I feel the same way and I, and it makes you feel so much better because you think, oh, 
other people feel exactly the same way. They understand what you're talking about. And I'm not the only person to make this mistake. Exactly. The people, the things, it's like I used to go to AA quite a lot. And uh, 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 the stories you'd hear, I mean, uh, okay, some would be really boring. And, uh, you know, <laughs> just, but, some, but some would be absolutely fascinating. Mm. I mean, fascinating. And you see, ah, you see, it's... It, so I think I'd bury... I'm a very, I told you, I'm a glass half empty person. So I'm quite negative. At age 12, I was called a cynical cynic by my English teacher. Oh, my word. Yeah. yeah. So it's been, it's been there quite a long time. I wish I could have dialed that down. But um, is that, do you think, a sort of a defensive thing, that thing of, of you know, poo-pooing things? That you go, well, yeah, it's nothing. It means nothing to me. You mean nothing to me. Yes, it is. And it's a very adolescent thing to do. Of course it is. You know, if somebody wanted me to wear black to a funeral, I'd wear white. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was that type of a person. Mm-hmm. You know, you say stand up, I'd sit down. Just that type of a person, you know, yeah. annoying. <laughs> But it's funny because we talked briefly about the fact that you'd got in touch with me to apologise for your behaviour when we made My Hero. I did. And I don't remember that behaviour at all. You clearly think that you were behaving that way to everybody, but I I said you have nothing to apologise for. No, but I particularly had it in my head that I I was having, must have been having a particularly bad episode. And I remember thinking to myself, don't be so rude to Mike. Don't be so rude to Mike just because you can't remember this. And, you know, this was what, Mike, 20 years ago? Yeah. It had been on my mind for 20 years. And yeah. I'd like to also, yeah, do the same to Peter Richardson, you know, where, yeah. you know, I rang him and I said, you know, I need to be paid. I need to be paid now. And he said, oh, sorry, and paid me. And I, and I, for 20 years, I've been waiting to apologize to him. Mm. But you, you and Peter, I had it in my head that I, was just rude. <laughs> Perhaps you were. I don't know. It just didn't get through to me. Well, thank God. I never really mind when actors, if they're sharp about something or they go, no, not that. I understand when people are under pressure. And I think if, if there had been any of that, which I don't particularly remember, I would have immediately written it off as, well, James is playing the lead in this role. He's been asked to take over from Ardlo Hanlon, who's had an extraordinarily successful run, and now he's being asked to play this new part and he must be feeling enormous pressure from that. So I would have dismissed it immediately. Well, that, that, that is so nice of you to, to say because I, I, I've spent the last 20 years thinking, <laughs> God, I, I hope I don't bump into Michael because I, I, I don't think I could take the pressure. Oh, no. What a shame we didn't bump into each other much sooner. <laughs> no, then. I know. But you know, you know how sometimes you feel... God, I didn't need to do that, and you know. And but what you must remember, I was, I was, I was always terribly uncomfortable playing that part. It didn't seem to fit for me. It didn't work. We'd had lots of arguments, and and I, it, I also thought after eight series, mm. it's a bit too long to then replace someone else. Right. I should have said no. Uh, because my nerves got the better of me and I, I, I didn't have the confidence and it just became, a uh, for me, a nightmare to do it because I didn't have the confidence. James, all those things that you, you regret about your own self, 
but I think they very much make you what you are and have made you the person you are, who I would say is a delightful man. Well, it's been a real delight, Mike, and it's been so nice to get everything off my chest. <laughs> I feel so much lighter now. And yes, and yes, we will go for that drink. Fantastic. I can't wait. Thank you very much. I'll see you soon. It's been a pleasure. Take care, Mike. Bye-bye. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, James Dreyfus. Hopefully, if you're new to this podcast, you enjoyed this episode enough to be tempted to listen to some more. Yes? Good, because there are lots available with all sorts of fascinating guests. In fact, if you subscribe to the podcast, you will be informed every time a new episode becomes available. Isn't that annoying? Also, if you have the time and inclination, then do rate and even review the show before you move on. We'll be most grateful. And if you want to see what the podcast and I are up to, then why not follow us into our private bedrooms and then... No, that's not right. No, please follow us on social media for lots of fun and inside info and the occasional rant about the world from me. Yeah, why not? It's social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, but mostly Twitter, if you must use that. <clears throat> anyway, the theme tune written by Past the Peas Music is available on Spotify to listen to anytime you fancy. This was a cast-off production produced by John Fenton Stevens for Acast. And that's it. Apart from my now traditional joke. Yes, some things become a tradition, even if you really wish they wouldn't. Anyway, here we go. The one that springs to mind at the moment because of James' connection with the comedy Gimme 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 that he did with Kathy Burke is... I saw a busker playing Dancing Queen, Money, Money, Money and Fernando on the didgeridoo the other day. I thought, that's Aboriginal. Yeah, all right, they can't all be works of genius. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 